Good morning. morning. Glad that you're here. This is our second lesson on um, a series that I've titled End Time Controversies. Um, Today we're going to talk about the rapture. Last week we talked about um, the thousand year reign or more pointedly just a literal reign of Christ at all here on the earth. And so uh, we'll look at some passages here in just a little bit that we looked at last week because some of the passages we looked at last week I think are relevant for this entire series and they're so important I want us to look at them again. Uh, But today mainly what we're going to talk about is the concept of the rapture. Now, you may not be familiar with the concept of the rapture and be wondering, well, what exactly is the rapture? Well, think about what we talked about last week with a literal reign of Christ here on earth. At some point prior to that literal reign, there is going to be a rapture, a taking up, a catching up of all of God's people that are alive on earth. We're going to be walking around and then all of a sudden those people will be raptured to heaven to be with Christ. And so Christ is going to come secretly and silently to rapture His people who are alive uh, off of the earth. And they are going to be with the Lord for however long He decides for it to be. And then when He comes again to establish His literal reign on earth, He will bring with Him all of those raptured souls. And once the Lord touches down on the earth, then the dead in Christ will rise up and they will all reign with the Lord for a thousand years on earth in His actual kingdom. Uh, Now that thousand years, as we talked about last week, does not have to be literal. It can be either literal or just some indefinite period of time, but an extended period of time. And uh, so that's basically what the rapture is all about. This catching up of these souls who are alive on the earth, and it will be done secretly and silently. Before we begin to look at uh, passages used to, to teach the rapture, I want us to give some implications Uh, some things that we must assume, if we want to believe in the rapture, then there are some things that we automatically must assume uh, before we ever really think about what the New Testament teaches exactly. One thing that we have to assume is that the rapture is implied in every single verse in the New Testament about the second coming of Jesus. And the reason that we have to say that this is implied is because the Bible never really clearly talks about the rapture. Rapture is actually a word that comes from Latin terminology and not Greek, so we don't find the literal term rapture in the New Testament. But the concept is not removed from the New Testament whatsoever. Uh, In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, this is a passage we'll look at in a little bit more detail uh, later on. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17, it says, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And so the word that we're looking for here is this catching up, this caught up. This snatching away or carried away. And so the Bible does talk about a rapture of sorts, but we need to properly understand what is talked about in the context of this catching up. Another passage that uh, we may look at 
to understand a little bit more about how this might take place is in Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, after Philip had taught the Ethiopian eunuch the gospel, and the eunuch was baptized, in verse 39 it says, And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Now this is a passage that's not in the context of the second coming of Christ. Um, the, uh, Jesus wasn't the one that raptured the souls. The Holy Spirit did it in this context. But this may give us kind of an idea of what rapturing may look like or being snatched away may look like. Being uh, transformed from one place to another. And that's exactly what happened with Philip. I wish I understood that better and could explain it to you better, but I really don't know exactly what that looked like or how it took place, but that's what the Bible says took place. But when we look at this idea of the rapture in the New Testament, we have to say that, well, it's implied in all of these verses about the second coming because it never really explains what it's all about, or when it's actually going to occur. It's just implied there, apparently. Another assumption that we have to make is that there are three comings of Jesus. Jesus came first. He was incarnated. Uh, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, what John says in the first chapter of his Gospel. He took on flesh, was born of the Virgin Mary. That was His first coming. And then the second coming that the New Testament talks about is when Jesus is going to come back on Judgment Day. And so if we want to believe in the rapture, well, there's a second coming in which the rapture takes place. And then there's a third coming in which Jesus comes to this earth to establish Himself in His literal, on his, uh, in his literal reign on earth. And so we've got to find a third coming somewhere, but the Bible never talks about a third coming. And you may be wondering, kind of like I am, well, where is the third coming? If the Bible never says third coming, it only says second, then how do we find room here? Well, the way that we find room is by saying that the second coming included two phases. The first phase was when the rapture took place. The second phase is when Jesus comes to establish His literal reign. Which really, if you think about it, it's three comings, aren't, isn't it? But it's just two phases of the second coming. Why is it that way? Because the Bible only says second coming. It doesn't say anything about a third. And so if we want to break up the second coming into two events, that's really all we have to work with in order to make this fit with what Scripture is saying. We have to imply that there are two phases to the second coming, which actually, make, actually makes it three. And then we have to assume that there is a seven-year tribulation period in between these two phases. Now this is where things get really technical and really difficult. Uh, because the seven-year period is a seven-year tribulation period. The seven-year tribulation period uh, is suppo supposedly connected back to Daniel chapter 9 in the 70 weeks. The 70th week is that seven-year tribulation period. They connect it to Daniel 9, Daniel 12, 
Matthew 24, uh, Revelation chapter 7 and 14, there's a great tribulation that takes place. And so this is where things kind of get difficult because uh, people believe differently on this. There can be a pre-tribulation rapture, which means the souls of, uh, of Jesus are going to be raptured from the earth prior to this tribulation period. And so they're being saved from the great tribulation. Some people believe there, there is a mid-tribulation rapture in which in the middle of this great tribulation, God is going to rapture His people from that tribulation and save them. And then there are other people that believe in a post-tribulation rapture. The rapture is going to take place after this tribulation period. Here's the thing. The Bible never literally says anything about a seven-year tribulation period. Is there tribulation? Is there a great tribulation that takes place? Absolutely. The Bible clearly talks about that. But the, the Bible talks about a lot of tribulations that God's people endure. Tribulation is just a concept that all of God's people are going to endure at some point or another. Times are difficult. Life is hard sometimes. Satan is good at what he does. And so it's not always easy. So whether we look at Matthew 24 or we look at the great tribulation period of Revelation chapter 7 and verse 14, whatever the case may be, God's people have to suffer a lot in Scripture. And we still do so today. But there's nothing in the New Testament really that points to a specific seven period great tribulation or seven year period of great tribulation in which we need to be saved from that and some kind of rapturous event. And so we've to, we have to imply that there is a seven year gap that's between these first and second phases of the second coming. And so the rapture means that we need to insert these things that the Bible is kind of vague on, or at least not clear on, if we want to, uh, to believe in the rapture. But as I mentioned earlier, let's remind ourselves of some things that we looked at last week because I think they're very important for us to consider with every lesson in this series on the end times. What I want us to look at is what we said concerning the, the one resurrection and the judgment that's going to take place at that one resurrection. In Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, <clears throat> And Daniel says, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. By the way, that's the great tribulation supposedly in that context. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who, who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And so there's one resurrection that's going to involve both the just and the unjust that some will go into everlasting life, some will go into everlasting contempt or judgment. Jesus said in John chapter 5, John chapter 5 verses 28 and 29, He said, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. 
Everybody's going to be raised at the same time. Some will go into everlasting judgment. Others will go into everlasting life or be raised to life. And then Paul said in Acts chapter 24 and verse 15, he said beginning in verse 14 so we can get the whole thought. But this I confess to you that according to the way which they call a sect, the Pharisees, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. Again, one resurrection. It will involve both the just and the unjust. And then finally, Hebrews chapter 9 Verses 27 and 28. Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. And so the second coming is described here for Him to deal with, uh, for Him not to deal with sin, because on the cross He did that but to save the people that are His children. And so these passages were important for what we talked about last week. They're important for what we're talking about this week and the remaining weeks ahead as well. But what about the rapture? When we look at the New Testament, what passages can we look at that uh, that can be connected to the rapture And what are those passages saying? What does the context suggest about those passages? And how can we just get a better understanding and a better grasp of the doctrine of the rapture itself, but then also what the Bible is talking about when it speaks about the second coming of Jesus and the judgment day that is to come? Well, here's one passage. And I want to start here for a good reason. John chapter 14 This passage is uh, often connected to the rapture. John 14 and verses 1 through 3. Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And the key word here is take. The word that's used here is the general word for take or receive. I may take or receive a gift from somebody. And so if we want to believe in the rapture, then we read this passage and we think, well, the the rapture is automatically implied here because of this idea of Jesus taking or receiving His people. And so we say that it's implied here, but here's the thing. We're not really given a whole lot of information on what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus says He's going to prepare a place and then He's going to come and He's going to take His people to Himself. But aside from that terminology, we're not really given a whole lot of detail about what that's going to look like or what's going to take place exactly when Jesus does that. Well, for some people, the vagueness is enough for them to say, well, the rapture is implied. But for others, and I'm in this other camp, what this passage tells me is I need to look 
in other places of the New Testament and find out a little bit more about the second coming of Jesus and about what this is going to look like. Is there anything else that we are told about Judgment Day? Is there anything else that we are told about the second coming that helps us understand a little bit more about what we can expect when this time happens? And I think that there is. And that's why I wanted to start here because it's often used for the rapture but it's just simply not giving a whole lot of giving us a whole lot of detail to go off on. And so let's use this and let's look at some other places as well. Here's one of the um, I forgot that I had that. Sorry about that. But 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 16 and 17. I want us to look at two passages of scripture that uh, are used to teach the rapture and see well is that really what's going on here? And if that's what's going on here, I'm all for it. But let's find out. Let's look at what the Bible says and see if we can figure it out. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord will Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And so this passage, we've got the catching up we talked about earlier, that, or the snatching away that we talked about earlier. And so the idea of a rapture is here. But what about the, on the day of judgment? What about this secret and silent rapturing of souls? Is that implied in this text? Or can this text be used to support that? What about elsewhere in Scripture? Well, think about a silent or secret coming. Look at verse 16. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. Is that a secret and silent event? can't say that it is. A trumpet sounding, the cry of the archangel, these are things that everybody's going to be aware of. Everybody's going to hear it. Everybody's going to know about it. This is something that everybody will be aware of. Acts chapter 1 and verse 11, when Jesus rises from the, or when he ascends from the earth and takes his place at the right hand of the Father, the apostles are sitting around looking at Jesus ascending into the heavens and they're looking and they're gazing and an angel appears beside them and he says, Why are you standing, looking, gazing into heaven? And in verse 11, the angel said, Jesus is going to appear in the same way that He went. He's going to come again in the same way that He went. And so with the apostles staring up into heaven watching Jesus go, if He's going to come in the exact same way, then what's going to happen? It's going to be something that every eye is going to be able to see. Everybody is going to be watching Him coming down. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7, the Bible says that every eye will see Him when He comes back. And so this secret and silent snatching away really doesn't coincide with what is talked about here in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 16. What about something else? The order is all wrong. 
Look at verse, the last part of verse 16 going into verse 17. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Remember, the souls are going to be raptured first. And then Christ is going to come again with those raptured souls. And that's when the dead in Christ are going to rise. And He's going to reign with all of those people on the earth. But that's not the order that Paul gives here. Paul says here that the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And then those who are alive when Christ comes are going to be taken up into the air to be with the Lord. Now this is a very important order for Paul in this context. Because what Paul, the reason that Paul is writing these things is the, the Thessalonian Christians are really discouraged because somebody has come into Thessalonica and told them that they missed the coming of Jesus. And they've got loved ones. They've got friends. They've got family members that are dead. And if that's the case, then they've missed the coming. Their dead loved ones have missed the coming of Jesus. Well, Paul said, no, they have not missed the coming of Jesus. It hasn't happened yet. But I'll give you one more. It's not just that it hasn't happened yet, but when it does happen, guess what? Your friends, your relatives, your family members that are dead in Christ, they are going to see the Lord before anybody else does. And so they will be the first ones to be with Jesus. And then after that, those who are alive will go up and be with the Lord as well. But it's the dead who see it first, not the ones who are alive walking around on the earth. And so it's not a silent and secret coming that's talked about in 1 Thessalonians 4. And the order is wrong for what the doctrine of the rapture that's implied to teach is. Then we have one more passage. Matthew chapter 24. Let's go over there. Matthew 24. Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 36. Wyatt read this for us just a minute ago, but let's remind ourselves of what it says. It says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son of Man, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the meal. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. And so the second coming of Jesus is connected by Jesus Himself to uh, the days of Noah. You may remember the days of Noah where Noah was told that a great flood was going to come and destroy the earth. Uh, God was very upset that He had created man because there was so much sin in the world. And Noah seems to be the only righteous person on the earth at that time or the only person that God can call righteous. 
And so Noah is told to build an ark and he builds the ark the way that God tells him to. But the whole time he's building this ark, he's preaching to these people, telling them that a flood's coming, judgment is coming, we might say. But the people don't want to listen to it. And Noah has virtually no success whatsoever. But when it comes time for the flood to happen, God tells Noah, get in the ark, get the animals that I told you to take with you into the ark. God shuts the door and then here comes the rain. The floods come, and who's saved? Noah, his three sons, or Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives are saved. Eight people and all of these animals are in the ark. Everybody else is judged. Everybody else is destroyed. And Jesus said, that's the way that it's going to be at the second coming. It's going to be a day just like any other day. Some people are going to be saved. Others will be destroyed and you may have looked at this and seen well one's in the field two will be in the field one will be taken and one left two women will be grinding at the mill one will be taken and one left and the 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 way that that passage is often read is that those who are taken are taken to be with the Lord and those who are left are those who are left to be judged away from the Lord Well, there are a couple of ways to interpret this passage. When we use regular Bible study principles, we we come to a conclusion that I think the way this passage ought to be read is that this idea of taken is not a blessing at all. Because if you look at verse verse 39, or, yeah, verse 39... And they were unaware, those people who were not on the ark were unaware until the flood came and did what? Swept them away. Some translations will say, taken them away. They were taken away by the waters of the flood. And so if we take this idea of being taken in this context and read this other idea of being taken in the same way that we read it with connection with Noah, who is taken? Those who are taken away from the Lord. Not taken up to be with the Lord, but taken away from the Lord. And those who are left are left where? Left to be with the Lord. And so taken in this passage is not a blessing at all. But what if we do read this passage the other way? What if taken does mean blessing? Well, is it talking about the rapture then? Well, look at verse 39 again. They were unaware. Who was unaware? Those that were not on the ark. They were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. One event that includes the salvation and the judgment of everybody that's on the earth. That's what judgment day will be like. And so even if we say the ones that are taken are going to be with the Lord, and it is a blessing, it's still the exact same event in which both the just and the unjust are taken care of in their eternal reward or eternal punishment. So as we think about the passages that are used to support the rapture, if we want to believe in the rapture, all of these passages have to fall in line in context and sorts with everything, and it just doesn't. As I mentioned earlier, I am all for the doctrine of the rapture if the Bible endorses it. The Bible doesn't teach it. 
it's got to be implied in all of these other texts that really don't talk about it in detail. But the second coming does involve both the just and the unjust, where Jesus takes care of everyone, dead and alive, that are either in Him or outside of Him. And so when we think about the second coming of Jesus, what do we know about it? Well, we know two things from our lesson this morning. We know that it will be an event that nobody, whether they're lost or saved, will be able to miss. Everybody's going to understand what's going on and what's happening when it occurs. And then we also know that it's going to be an event that leaves some safely in the arms of Jesus, but others will go away into everlasting destruction. We have a decision to make. And the decision that we have to make is not whether or not the rapture is true. The decision that we have to make is, am I in Christ? And if I am in Christ, am I living faithfully in Christ? Because if I'm not in Christ, or I'm not living faithfully in Christ, Judgment Day is not a day that I can look forward to. It's a day when Jesus will make a decision. And that decision is largely based upon how we want to live our lives. The decisions that we make on a day-to-day basis. Jesus has extended His hand out to us and said, I want to be your Savior. Will you accept me? And I will ask you this this morning. Will you accept Him as your Savior? It may be that you have done that. And you've had your sins washed away in baptism. You're living your life the way that you think you need to. But maybe you've done some things in the past that you're not proud of. Things that are just nagging at your conscience in the back of your mind. Things that you would like to make right. Let us pray for you today. And let us help you make those things right. It may be that you're here this morning, but you have not obeyed the gospel. And you, uh, the blood of Jesus has not cleansed you and washed you away of your sins. Need to make that decision this morning too. The time is now for us to start living for the Lord and not for ourselves. If you need to make the decision uh, to uh, to change your life, please do so now as we stand and sing. The invitation, oh, prepare to meet thy God, careless soul.